And welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. I'm Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing, Ben? I'm alright. It's a bit of a weird day. Yeah, it's like the first, like, actually feels like fall kind of day. Yeah, it's a little bit overcast and I think I'm just feeling a bit of brain fog. Mm hmm. But hopefully that won't interfere too much with today's episode. What are we watching today? Today, Sarah, we are watching The Mummy's Curse, hmm. the fourth movie in the Karis the Mummy series, the fifth mummy movie from Universal overall. Yes. Now, what's interesting in, like, the mummy franchise mm. is they all have, like, the mummy's thing. The mummy's thing. Um, but they never really relate to the plot? No, they're all extremely generic. Like, yeah. the mummy's hand, like, yes, the mummy has a hand, but that's not... It actually has two hands. Right. It has nothing... It's not a significant factor. It'd be like calling, like, the newest James Bond movie, like, 007's Shoes. Like, okay, sure. Well, perhaps maybe, like, James Bond's gun. You know, because right. like, that's how he does his, uh, how Karis does his murdering. And then the mummy's tomb, like, what's funny about that one is the mummy always is going to have a tomb, but like, that's the one where the mummy goes to America from Egypt, so it has like, maybe the least to do with the mummy's tomb of any of them. He's going to America to seek vengeance on people who had defiled a mummy's tomb. Yeah, it's not that the titles have nothing to do with the movies, but it's like, Han Solo's vest. Like, yes, it's there. <laughs> it's not the point. The mummy's ghost, like, probably... That's, like, the closest, because it has reincarnation. Oh, I was going to say it was the farthest, because <laughs> although, like, the mummy does have, I guess, a ghost inside him, because, like, if that's how you want to view, like, the idea of, you know, what a ghost is when it's not outside you, I guess, but, like, there's no ghostly apparition of anything at any yeah. time. Yeah, And then, like, The Mummy's Curse, like, that's accurate, but there has always been a Mummy's Curse. Like, that's not specific to this movie. Any of the, any of the Mummy movies could have been called The Mummy's Curse. Yeah, in fact, it might have made sense to be a name used earlier. Mm-hmm. So let me recap what we've seen so far in the Karis Mummy franchise. Okay. So, The Mummy's Hand is from 1940, and it's the only Karis movie that has someone else playing the mummy, rather than Lon Chaney. Right. It has Tom Tyler, who is not significant in any way. He, he, he was just a muscle. He was just a bruiser. I mean, yeah, he was Captain Marvel. Yeah, he was just a bruiser. So that's from episode 78. It's currently ranked 92. God, 1940, it was really that long ago, huh? Yeah, it feels like ages. Now, The Mummy's Hand is the first mummy movie after the original The Mummy with mm -hmm. Boris Karloff, but it's kind of like a reboot slash remake mm -hmm. um, because it has nothing to do with that 1932 mummy, and it introduces Karis as our main mummy. Our main man mummy. Mm -hmm. His backstory is that uh, way back... In ancient Egypt, he stole some sacred tana leaves to bring his love, Princess Anunka, back to life. Um, as punishment for this, he was buried alive. The leaves are used by the priests of Karnak to keep him alive in like almost like a comatose state. Yeah. As like eternal punishment. Right. And they specifically say, you know, three leaves to keep him in this state, but nine leaves to animate him and use him to attack people who disturb Ananka's tomb. Yeah, because the priests of Karnak are, like, bound to protect the tomb of Ananka. Yeah, so this is where we meet High Priest Andoheb, played by George Zuko. In kind of the plot of that movie, I'm going to go into detail here, because there's a theme. Mm, yes. Karis the mummy will just instinctually search out tana leaf juice. Mm -hmm. So Andoheb gets his buds, like his little minions, to put tunnel leaf juice on our main guys who are going off to explore the 
uh, Ananka's tomb. This is Steve Banning, Babe Hansen, and Marta Silvani and her dad to put this tunnel leaf on them so that Karis will go and kill them. Yes. Now, for some reason, when Karis goes to kill Marta, he brings her back to Andaheb instead. And Enderheb is like, ooh, a lady. I'll give her some Tana juice and we can be immortal together. This has not been any aspect of my motivation thus far. Yeah. Um, Steve and Babe come in and rescue her. They end up shooting High Priest Enderheb, just with a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and they light Karis on fire. <laughs> the end. Or is it? Because in The Mummy's Tomb, we follow up with Steve Banning and Babe Hansen. Marta Silvani has died of old age or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Which means that either the first movie was set in, like, 1910, or the second movie set in, like, 1970. I feel like it's probably The Mummy's Hand is set in 1910, because that's when, like... Egyptology going on? Yeah. Well, and, like, The Mummy's Tomb mentions... Like, one of the characters is going to get drafted for the war, which, like, you know, the natural thing to assume it would be World War II, but maybe it's Vietnam. <laughs> the Mummy's Tomb came out in 1942, has Lon Chaney as the mummy, and it's episode 95, ranked number 55, mm-hmm. um, which is the highest of uh, the Karis movies so far. So in The Mummy's Tomb, as we said, we're 30 years later, and Enderheb is alive, but he's old and dying, so he's passing on the high priest duties to Mehemet Bey, played by Turhan Bey. Mm-hmm. And he instructs Mehemet Bey to go to America and hunt down the Banning family for despoiling Ananka's tomb. Now in America, in Mapleton, a sleepy little town... In Massachusetts... Mapleton, Massachusetts. The Banning family is quite rich because of the these discoveries that they made. And then we get a recap from Steve telling his son John, who's like a doctor, and his fiance Isabel, um, about the story. And then the rest of the movie is almost like a slasher fic with Karis coming around and hunting down members of the Banning family. There's kind of a mystery aspect where the Cops in town are investigating this strange moldy dust left on all of Karis's victims. In the end, this strange change of motivation comes in for Mehemet Bey as it did with Andaheb. Mehemet Bey sees Isabel, loves her, and instructs Karis to go and kidnap her, and the plan is to make Isabel drink the Tana juice, and she and Mehemet Bey will be immortal forever. Now this goes terribly, and the way that um, Lon Chaney, who by now is playing Karis, the way he plays Karis is just kind of like, what the fuck, why are you doing this? All of this goes horribly awry, and uh, Karis ends up getting burned up in a house. Um, Isabel is saved by John, um, so that's fine. Now in The Mummy's Ghost, it came out in 1944, again still has Lon Chaney as the mummy, uh, it's episode 121, if you want to take a listen, and it's currently ranked 91. Yeah. So one spot above the mummy's hand. As the mummy's ghost opens, we see High Priest Anderheb, now High Priest of Arkan, as opposed to Karnak, as it has been in the last two movies. He's passing the High Priest duties to Yusuf Bey. He instructs Yusuf to go to Mapleton to retrieve Karis, who is apparently alive. Right. Um, and retrieve the body of Ananka, which is in the museum near Mapleton. And Yusuf Bey is played by John Carradine. Yes. So in all of these films, we've had the repeat of, like, three leaves to keep him whatever, nine leaves to really summon Karis. Mm-hmm. And we see that come up again in The Ghost, as Karis is instinctually drawn to anyone brewing nine leaves. Um, there's an Egyptologist in town who's doing this, because uh, he's trying to find the secret of Egyptology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to find the secret of how Tana leaves makes you immortal. And Karis comes in and kills him. So that kind of starts a bit of a mystery here. And it's also how we know, oh shit, Karis really is alive. Around the same time, when Karis comes back to life, 
um, it also seems to awaken Ananka's spirit in the local resident Amina, who is of Egyptian descent. Mm-hmm. Turns out Amina is the reincarnation of Ananka, and Yusuf Bey plans to find her, kill her, so that Ananka doesn't get, like, continue being alive, whatever. Yeah, so her soul will go back into her mummy body, so they can take the mummy body back to the tomb. Yeah, and then, like, yeah, head back to Egypt. But Yusuf Bey sees Amina and says, No, you know what? We're going to drink the tuna leaf juice and be immortal together. Uh-huh. Now, by this point, this is the third movie yeah. with this, like, you know what? Let's be immortal together, nice lady. And Karis is tired of this shit. So at this point, Karis tosses Yusuf Bey out a window, picks up Amina, who, as she is, like, becoming kind of awoken to her Ananka soul, sure. I guess, her body's rapidly aging. Right. Um, it's not clear what... Karis's motivations are at this point in time, but he picks up Amina slash Ananka and walks off and is being kind of followed by a mob, so it's not also clear if he's being chased, and walks into a bog and drowns? The end? The end. So, the pattern of these movies is Karis, Tana Leaves, Fancy Lady... Priest gets horny, mm-hmm. kidnap fancy lady, everything goes terrible. Yes. So I think that is the curse of this movie. Mm. Or at least this franchise. So, you and I, we've we've seen a lot of movies. We've been around the block a few times <laughs> with, uh, with a lot of different movie franchises, you know? Sure. I mean, our listeners know we watch a lot of horror movies, but in our in our civilian lives we watch a lot of different movie franchises Mm -hmm. we like sci-fi and we like superhero movies we like all kinds Mm -hmm. and you know i think that experience tells us that it's always a good sign when a sequel is produced later the same year as a previous movie right yeah (laughs) so you would think that at least the like chronological proximity would give you hope that there would maybe be some better intermovie continuity this time around, because yeah. like we just made one of these. However, while Lon Chaney is back as Karis and Jack Pierce is still doing the mummy makeup, almost everyone else making this picture has never worked on a mummy movie before. Producer Ben Piver has stepped out. He's busy working on the Inner Sanctum mystery series. Sure. So replacing him is producer Oliver Drake, who had worked almost exclusively on westerns before this. And would work almost exclusively on westerns after this. Sure. Yeah, I guess they can't call on George Wagner to do it. He's moved on to fancy musicals. Yes. And 60s Batman TV. (laughs) (laughs) In the director's chair is Leslie Goodwins, who got his start as a gag writer for comedy shorts and was even nominated for an Oscar for Best Short Subject in 1936 for Dummy Aches. And again, in 1937, for Should Wives Work? Oh my god. He transitioned into feature films, uh, particularly the Mexican Spitfire series of seven feature comedies for RKO from 1939 to 1943, starring Lupe Velez as a temperamental Mexican singer who leaves Mexico to marry an American businessman in California. Uh, And then the comedy sort of coming from her, like, fish-out-of-water predicaments. Okay. (laughs) What? The screenplay is by Bernard Schubert, who penned Mark of the Vampire and Jungle Woman, but none of the previous Mummy movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, Jungle Woman and Mark of the Vampire aren't particularly good. Cinematography is by Virgil Miller, who was one of the multiple cinematographers who worked on the 1925 Phantom of the Opera. Uh, He was 58 years old at the time of filming this film. Okay. And uh, a a side note, The Mummy's Curse is set 25 years after The Mummy's Ghost. But it came out later the same year. Which means that the timeline of this series is either like (laughs) 1910, 1940, 1944, 1969... 
right? Like, that means <laughs> this movie has to be set in 1969. Or it's 1940, 1970, 1974, and then this movie's in 1999. Depending on when you think the first movie was set. So, we're either really into the Beatles or really into the Spice Girls. Right. Joining Lon Chaney is Virginia Christie as the resurrected Princess Ananka, replacing Ramsey Ames from the previous film. Born in 1920, she got her start in radio while attending UCLA. She was scouted by Warner Brothers, and she worked for them for about a year, uh, but then they dropped her, and she was picked up by Universal, uh, which led to her appearing in this film. She would have a long career as a character actress, uh, appearing in such films as The Killers, High Noon, Dragnet, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Judgment at Nuremberg, the remake of The Killers, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. But her biggest fame uh, for a certain generation of audiences came in 1965 when she began a 21-year stint as Mrs. Olsen in Folger's Coffee Commercials. <laughs> According to Christie... The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup? Correct. According to Christie, Cheney was drunk basically all the time oh. while they were making this movie. Um, and, you know, listen, alcoholism is bad, and we know that Cheney was an alcoholic. On the other hand, like, comparing his role as Karis to his other roles, he has nothing to do. He's never... Really, like, it's he's in 100% makeup. You never see his face. He has no lines. He just shuffles around the set back and forth. So I do kind of have some sympathy for Cheney just saying, fuck it, I'm just going to be drunk all day. Sure. Um, however, he had difficulty, you know, carrying her the way that, you know, Karis the Mummy has to, like, carry women around. So she was placed into a harness that was then wrapped around his neck so that he would be able to carry her more easily. And this made her very afraid that he was going to fall over drunk while carrying her, and she would fall over as well and, like, be trapped, and they would both be injured. Eventually, Cheney's drinking became such a problem on set that director Goodwins had Cheney replaced with his stunt double, Eddie Parker, who would then take over the role of Cars the Mummy full-time in 1955's Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy. Oh, no... Cheney. Yeah. Also in the cast, we find Peter Coe, who we last saw in House of Frankenstein as, um, like, Hussman Jr. Jr. Uh, oh, the grandkid? Yeah, yeah. The grandson? Yeah. He was born Peter Knego in Yugoslavia in 1918. He began acting in Hollywood in 1944 and was typically cast in a variety of ethnic roles. Sure. Uh, he's playing an Egyptian in this film. <laughs> in his later years... <laughs> that's, that's not similar to Yugoslavian at all. <laughs> in his later years, he was a friend and drinking buddy of Edward D. Wood Jr. Okay. You know, Ed Wood. Oh, Ed Wood! Yeah. Shit. In a small role in this film is 62-year-old actor Holmes Hebert, who we've previously seen in... The 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Mystery of the Wax Museum, The Invisible Man, Mark of the Vampire, Ghost of Frankenstein, The Undying Monster, and The Uninvited. In, like, bit parts? He was Lanyon in Jekyll and Hyde. Um, oh, like the butler? No, the, like, older doctor friend who, like... Yeah, but he was older then. Yes. This is, like, t 10, 15 years later? Yeah. Okay. Uh, another actor in the cast uh, I would like to point out is Martin Kosleck, who was a German actor born in 1904. He is also playing an Egyptian here. Uh, he was active in the German film industry before fleeing when the Nazis came to power. And he delighted in playing Nazis in films for Hollywood, uh, inspired by his hatred of them to portray them as distastefully as possible. Um, he kind of like Conrad Veidt. Yeah, exactly. He played Joseph Goebbels five times in different movies over the years. Like, unrelated movies. Yeah. After World War II, Nazi roles were harder to get, so he began appearing in B-horror movies. Uh, in addition to this film, he also appeared with Chaney in the fourth Inner Sanctum mystery movie, The Frozen Ghost, although he reportedly 
disliked Chaney immensely. Oh. So The Mummy's Curse premiered on December 22nd, 1944. It was poorly received by critics, and it flopped commercially, uh, ending the Mummy series for the next 11 years. We beat the curse! Today it's available on Blu-ray and DVD as part of the Mummy Legacy Collection, or you can stream it online on the PlayStation Video Store. Just the PlayStation Video Store? Yeah. Oh. So if you've got a PlayStation, you can watch along. Or a copy of the box set. Yeah. Uh, well, folks, we'll let you know if it's worth watching along. Uh, you're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss The Mummy's Curse from 1944, directed by Leslie Goodwins. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching The Mummy's Curse from 1944, directed by Leslie Goodwins. Well, Ben, was this a good win for Leslie Goodwins? I mean, it was fine. It was fine, Sarah. I This movie's fine. <laughs> um, I, had, I had a lot of fun watching it with you. I think it's always important to remember with these B-movies to keep in mind that, like, these were meant to be disposable. Yeah. You know, like, this did a great job at filling, like, an hour and ten minutes of my day. Sure. And it was entertaining. It did not commit the principal sin of being boring. Right. So, as I mentioned in our introduction, The Mummy's Curse is set 25 years after The Mummy's Ghost, which means it's, like, 1969, maybe? But what I didn't mention in the introduction is that in The Mummy's Ghost, Karis and Ananka sunk in a swamp in Massachusetts. And in our episode on that movie, we did question, are there swamps in Massachusetts? But we knew that it was in Massachusetts because they were explicit, this is Mapleton, Massachusetts. Right, which it had been for two movies in a row as yes. well, because that's where Mummy's Tomb was. This movie, Karis and Ananka emerge from the swamp, in Louisiana. And I feel like what happened was Bernard Schubert, the writer, went, wait, they're in a swamp in America? In Massachusetts? That's, that's stupid. I'm just going to make it Louisiana. That makes much more sense. <laughs> so suddenly, we are in Louisiana. And the swamp in which Karis and Ananka drowned uh, is being drained by a company... Uh, that has been hired by the government to drain the swamp. Uh, presumably for, like... <laughs> Corruption reasons. Presumably for, like, development reasons. And they're having some difficulty doing this because the, uh, like, Cajun workers population of the area are all superstitious about the mummy that's in the swamp. It's It's so weird because the Cajun people of the area, you know... A, weren't in any of the previous movies, but also, um, okay, listen, I've never been to Louisiana. I don't really know what authentic Cajun people are like, and I don't really know what authentic Cajun people were like in 1944 or would be like in 1969, but what I see in this movie feels like French peasants. Yeah, they all have very strong French accents. But, like, they're trying to put in a little bit of, like, an American spin on some... Like, every third word is not with a French accent. And, listen, I've been to Louisiana. No one speaks like that. No one is like... Never in my life have I seen such a thing. Yeah, that is literally how they sound. Without the ha-ha-ha. But, like, also they're dressed in, like, peasant clothes. Yes. As if, like, we were in Europe. Anyways... So they're all superstitious about the mummy, so they don't want to work on Mm -hmm. the swamp. Because there's tales of, if you go into the swamps at night, the mummy will get you. The mummy and his bride. Right. And further complicating things for Mr. Walsh of the Walsh Sewage Drainage Company, 
uh, is the arrival of Dr. James Halsey from the Scripps Museum. So, like, they got the museum name right, so they clearly, like, paid some attention to the previous movies. Uh, and his assistant, Dr. Ilzor Zandab. He's <laughs> That's doc- a name. Yeah, Dr. Ilzor Zandab is supposed to be Egyptian. The name sort of feels like you just pulled, like, a bunch of syllables that would never be in an English name out of a hat and sort of put them together. Anyways, they've come to ensure that, like, when the swamp is drained, the mummies get removed and taken back to the museum rather than, you know, destroyed or whatever. And Walsh is like, ah, fucking nerds and their fucking mummy shit. Why can't I just do my business? You guys should get the hell out of here. There ain't no mummies. He's, He's sort of like an angrier, less entertaining J. Jonah Jameson. Sure. And... You know, Dr. Halsey falls in love with his niece, Betty, who is also his secretary. And, uh, you know, they've set up a camp to, like, get the mummies removed. And things are chugging along when Antoine, one of the workers, is stabbed in the back. And everyone's like, oh, it's the curse of the mummy. And maybe it was because Antoine died right next to a mummy-shaped hole in the ground. Uh, so someone's stolen the mummy's body. Turns out that someone is Rageb, who is Dr. Zandab's assistant and is also Egyptian. And Rageb and Zandab have posted up in the ruins of an old monastery that is just in Louisiana. And this (laughs) uh, old monastery's basement definitely just looks like a dungeon from a horror movie. And it turns out that Zandab is the current high priest of Arkan. Because, you know, hey, here are the two Egyptian characters in the movie. Uh, and they have, of course, come to America to retrieve Karis and Ananka and bring them back to their uh, resting places in Egypt. And we get a uh, flashback to the origin of Karis, featuring some footage of Tom Tyler, some footage of Boris Karloff, just whatever we can do to, to make this work. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear that, Rewind and listen to the context setting. Right. So, meanwhile, although Karis has been, like, pulled out of the swamp by Rageb and then brought back to this monastery, and then we get the usual speech about, like, "Ah, three ton of leaves to keep him alive, nine ton of leaves to get him going, Ananka just wakes up on her own? Thanks to the power of the sun. Right. And... She's like a hibernating frog. mm. You know, once the heat of the sun reaches her, she wakes up. Right, because they've sort of, like removed enough layers of topsoil. The scene where Ananka, like, shambles up out of the earth is probably the best scene in the movie. Yeah, it's pretty um, creepy. It's, it's all done in, like, one take almost, and, like, her hand comes up out of the dirt and, then, like, pulls her up out of the, like, mud, and then she, like, gets up and she's this shambling corpse that just kind of, like, walks around wandering and, uh, Takes a dip in a pond to clean off all the uh, mud and muck, and emerges a beautiful 1940s woman. And With a very, like, Jean Brooks from Seventh Victim hairstyle. Yes, which I think is supposed to make her look more Egyptian. She is discovered by Cajun Joe, <laughs> who is one of the workers at the site, and who's one of my favorite characters because I don't understand why in a community of Cajun people he's called Cajun Joe. Like, clearly there's, like, a regular Joe around. Yes, exactly. He discovers her and takes her back to uh, this old lady's tavern to get her taken care of, because it's clear that she has amnesia. Uh, She doesn't really know who she is, which allows the movie to kind of skirt around the, like... Who is she? Yeah, is she the resurrected Ananka? Is she Amina from the previous movie? doesn't matter. Karis awakens, goes after amnesiac Ananka, and Ananka gets away, screaming, uh, so Karis kills the lady who runs the tavern. And thus, we're back to, you know, like, oh, well, who's ca- causing these murders? And like, oh, there's mold around the neck, and like, oh, it couldn't possibly be a mummy, and this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, uh, the amnesiac girl is found by, you know, the town doctor, and she meets uh, Dr. Halsey from the university. And turns out she's great at analyzing scraps of cloth and telling you exactly what dynasty 
they're from, and in fact, which person's mummy they belong to. Now, granted, if I was in Louisiana and I found some mummy cloth, I feel like my list of suspects of which mummy it could possibly be would be rather small. I mean, they weren't sure if they were mummy cloth, but the thing where she, like, tells exactly which mummy it is is a little bit less impressive. Anyways, she has all of this knowledge of ancient Egypt, and Halsey's like, how do you know these things? And she says that she does not know how she knows these things, uh, because she's got very selective amnesia. She, she like, calls out the name Karis into the night sometimes, but every time the mummy shows up, she screams and runs away. Somehow, Dr. Zandab kind of recognizes that she's an Anka right away. But rather than just grabbing her and bringing her back to the monastery, Zandab tells Karis, no, it's been ordained that you must get her. <laughs> uh, which means that... Do my bidding. I'm lazy. Which means that Karis has to, of course, shamble slowly across the swamps to, uh, to get her. And him chasing after her leads to the deaths of the town doctor, Cajun Joe... Um, Not Cajun Joe. Just a succession of people who get between him and Ananka as she tries to run away from him. Uh, But eventually he does uh, grab her and take her to the monastery. Uh, Now, Betty was trying to keep uh, Amnesiac Ananka safe when Karis busted in and grabbed her. And so she needs to go find Dr. Halsey right away to tell him, like, hey, the mummy's been here, and he went off with the girl. So Raghab finds uh, Betty, and he's like, oh, I, I know where Dr. Halsey is. I'll, I'll take you to him. And he takes her to the monastery, which is not where Dr. Halsey is. Why has he brought her here? Well, it turns out it's, it's, it's to rape her. Um, but you only really get like a split second to realize that's what's going on when Dr. Zandab bursts in and is like, wait, what the fuck, Raghab? Like, we, saw, we, we had oaths as like priests of Arkan. Like, this is some unacceptable ass shit. And, uh, you know, is calling him out for uh, having the same failing as every high priest of this movie series beforehand. But Raghab is not taking this uh, admonishment lying down. He pulls a knife, stabs Zandab, and now he's going to have his way with, Oh, hey, Dr. Halsey, you're here too. All right, we're going to have a big fight between the two of them. And uh, Halsey's going to rescue Betty. But, oh, hey, look, Raghab, he's back up on his feet. Oh, no. Watch out, Dr. Halsey. Ah, but Karis has come into the room, and he has no tolerance for horny Egyptian men who are not <laughs> himself. So uh, he he starts fighting with uh, Raghab, and in the um, chaos of that fight, a whole wing of the monastery just collapses on top of them. And that's when uh, Walsh and his uh, angry mob arrive, having been alerted to the danger because, you know, his niece went missing. And uh, they show up, and, you know, the Egyptians are, are all dead, and they find uh, Ananka's body in the other room, transformed into a dusty old mummy. And uh, Dr. Halsey says, well, I guess we can take Ananka and dig out Karis and get them back to the museum. And meanwhile, I'm going to marry Betty, who I just met, but saved from a mummy. Well, the mummy actually saved her. But long story short, everything worked out fine for everybody except for the priests of Arcan. And Karis again. And Ananka, arguably. The end. Yeah. So you kind of like skimmed over this, but um, before Rekab is about to attack Betty, we see Zandab give some of the tanna leaf juice to unconscious amnesiac Ananka. Right, and that's sort of, I guess, why she transforms back into mummy Ananka. Exactly, yeah. So like, there is like a cause. So... There's some good horror shots in here. You yeah. pointed out, like, a pretty good sequence when Ananka is coming out of the mud. Whenever she is being chased by Karis in, like, the night, she's also always in, like, a very nice white gown. Like, a yes. white flowy gown. I feel like she has, like, a succession of three different she white does. gowns. She absolutely does. Um, so the, there's some good imagery there. And then, like, Karis coming out of the bushes to, like threaten her, attack people. Like, there's some good imagery in here. Yeah, I think there's some... It's it's good moody lighting, expressive cinematography. Lots you know, of death and murder. Yeah, Karis racks up a pretty decent body count in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was much better as a horror movie than I expected it to be. Especially with, like, 
how you set up in the context setting, like, how only really the writer had been involved in horror Mm -hmm. before, and not very good horror at that. Like, the director hadn't, like, the producer hadn't, Mm -hmm. and they'd all been involved in comedies. Mm -hmm. So I figured this is either not going to be good, Mm -hmm. or it could be a murders in the zoo situation. Right. But this, like... I guess you could say it's a competent horror movie. Yeah, I don't know if this is anything special, but I think, like, in the realm of B-movie horror, this is not bad. You know what I mean? Um, The inexplicable Louisiana setting helps give it a feeling of variety from, like, other horror movies of the time and era. But there is still kind of a feeling of going through the motions with a lot of the plot. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, we kind of pointed this out in the context setting, but these mummy movies have been very paint-by-numbers, right? Yeah, I think, like, the Louisiana setting, the fact that we have Ananka... As a character, like, for once? Yeah, like, that changes it up. Um, The fact that, like, even the conclusion, or I guess the climax of the movie, isn't just, oh... Here we go again. The high priest is horny. Yeah, it was... His assistant. Right. Um, And then the assistant kills the high priest. Like, that was enough of a shift that I was like, oh, let's see where this goes. Yeah, it was a little bit different. It was enough of a difference to be not as repetitive, right? Like, he's not talking... Like, Ragged's not talking about using Tana leaves so that he and Betty will live forever or anything so grandiose. He's just going to attack her in a basement. Like, and it's not like, oh, I've fallen in love with this woman and we will be together forever. It's, I'm a shitty dude and I'm going to, you know, attack this woman. Like, it's a little more down to earth. Yeah, he literally says, but I'm flush. I'm a man. The cast here ranges from decent. uh, Like, Virginia Christie does, like, a decent job with an underwritten role as Ananka. Yeah, I enjoyed her performance here. Um, Her look... And the way she acts strikes me as very, like, Elizabeth Banks. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see Elizabeth Banks playing this role if this movie was made today. I just wish there'd been a little bit more effort to, like, characterize Ananka. Like, describe, like, just who she was and, like, what she wanted. Yeah. Like, she describes herself as, like, being two different people, which is really interesting. It fits with the Amina Ananka thing from the previous movie. Exactly. But there's no sense of, like, we get the Ananka stuff because it's like, oh, that's why she knows ancient Egyptian stuff. But there's nothing about Amina. No, there's no sense of that at all. Like, she's never remembering that part of her life. To be fair, there's nothing about Amina in the last one either. She was just a girl. Sure, but, like, she never remembers, like, oh, I had this boyfriend 25 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, But she gives a decent performance, right? Yeah. So that's about as good as it gets. And then in the middle you have some very bland performances, like um, Dennis Moore, who plays Dr. Halsey, who says all of his lines like this. I am Dr. Halsey from the Scripps Museum. Let's go get that mummy. Um, I thought Holmes Herbert as Dr. Cooper. Holmes Herbert was in Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was pretty good. For, like, the two scenes he had? Yeah, I mean, he's got the experience, right? Yeah. And then sort of at the bottom end of the cast, we have the inexplicably offensive. Because, like, we're in Louisiana, so there's Cajun Joe. And Cajun Joe is... Like a Cajun hillbilly? Yeah. That's, I guess, how I would describe Yeah, he's exactly what you imagine when I say the words Cajun Joe. And you're thinking... You should just call him Cajo. (laughs) Cujo. Um... (laughs) And you're thinking, like, okay, yeah, this is a little bit stereotypical. But because we're in Louisiana, there's also some uh, African-American characters. Specifically, there's the character of Gooby, played by Napoleon Simpson. And Gooby is... there. Are, there's, like, so much to dislike here. Because he's definitely, like, a minstrel, bug-eyed, cowardly, darky kind of character. Who just sort of is there to, like be a scared of things, and run around yelling. So that's, you know, reductive and bad. Then, like, for no reason, because it's 1944, maybe 69, he calls all of the white people in this movie Massa so-and-so, like he's a slave in a movie set in, like, 1850-something. Like, yeah. it's, it's like, 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 that's, that's, like, you know, like, there are, hmm, like, there are, stereotypical speech patterns for black characters in this time period that definitely, like, reference, like, slave master 
relationship stuff, like like calling someone boss or whatever, right? Or or white people calling a black character like boy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, no, he's straight up saying Massa, like Massa Halsey, like I'm sorry. And then finally, what's most kind of you know what makes these two other things that are bad about him worse is that he doesn't serve a purpose in the story at all. He's not he's he's not even in enough of it that you would think, ah, here's the comic relief character. Like he's just kind of there and you could not have him and it would change nothing. Yeah, I think he's in two scenes where he's like active, like, yeah, like talking, not just in the background. Yeah, he's in yeah, exactly. Like he's in like two and a half overall, yeah. Yeah. So that's that definitely drags this movie down for me. Um, I think also what is a problem with this movie is that, like, the writer didn't know what they were doing, I guess. I, by that, I mean, like, there's some interesting ideas here where, like, Karis is explicitly brought back to movement during the phases of the moon. Right. And Ananka is explicitly tied to the sun with, like, her literally coming to life from the sun. Um, she has a big t- speech about how much she loves the sun later. Yeah, so this, like, dichotomy of sun and moon, but that doesn't go anywhere. That yeah, doesn't do... That doesn't mean anything. They it's don't do anything that, with like, it. That happens to be in, in the dialogue. They they talk about, like, oh, the girl that we found is actually this the mummy Ananka. Wow, I guess we'll just take her back to the museum. <laughs> Not, oh, if we just rehydrate her? Does that cure mummification? Yeah, like the, the, the implications of a lot of the magic in these movies. There's also um, a lot of use of the word or term Luguru being used by the Cajun folk. Yeah, just thrown around as background color, basically. Yeah, like, oh, the Luguru will get you. Don't, like, don't you want to watch out for the mummy? Like, so it's as if they're calling the mummy Luguru, but Luguru literally means wolf, werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's literally what it means. They, it's not, oh, the monster in Cajun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like they're using it. I think contextually it seems like they're using it as like... Uh, like the a, boogeyman. Yes, exactly. Equivalent to the boogeyman. Yeah, exactly. But it's a very specific boogeyman, you know? It's not like I'd be calling, like, Dracula the mummy. Like, or saying, like... Dracula's gonna get you watch out for the mummy. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 very ugh. strange. Um I would say that the plot here is very thin yeah. and a little bit confused, but the movie has a very decent pace, it doesn't waste time, and it's like over before you really have a chance to complain. Like it's an hour and ten minutes long. You know, so it's just kind of like going, going, done. Yeah. Which is, is is nice. Yeah, that's why, like, you know, it's not boring. Mm-hmm. So at least it's better than The Mummy's Ghost. Right. Yeah, because The Mummy's Ghost was just such a retread of Mummy's Tomb, right? Yeah. I really, it's a minor thing and it doesn't really matter that much, but I hated the character of Walsh. I always hate characters like Walsh, like characters who are just like, assholes for no reason. Yeah. Like, I get that he's, like, frustrated about these superstitious workers who won't do their jobs, but, like, I was almost stunned at his reaction to, like, a university showing up and being like, hey, can we dig for this mummy? And him being like, ah, fuck off. I'm gonna send word back to your university that they should fire all of you for no reason because I'm grumpy. It's like they were trying to have his attitude be comedic relief. Yeah, it just doesn't, like, I don't, I can't put my finger on why... J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man works, and this guy doesn't, but, like, it's almost like he's not quite over the top enough to be comedic relief, so he's just an asshole. It's also, he's he's completely, um, he's an asshole for no reason, right? Like, he's just angry and grumpy and hates everybody. And what was frustrating about that to me was, like, listen, I don't know if it's different in the United States, But, like, in Canada, like, if you're, like, an oil company or anyone else who's doing, like, excavations and stuff, like, you have to just shut down everything if you come across, like, an archaeological thing or a paleontological thing until, like, guys can come in and remove that shit. Because it's, like, hella illegal to, like, destroy that stuff without, like, paying proper attention, 
right? And the amount of, like, bad press that your, like, business would get if it was just like, yeah, this museum showed up to get this mummy that everyone knows is here, and I told them to fuck off. Like, it's just, it's just unreasonable, and I hate characters, I don't mind characters who are jerks, I, I hate characters who are jerks for no reason, and where it's just a completely, like, unreasonable thing. I guess Karis and Ananka going to the Scripps Museum is supposed to be a happy ending? I mean, I suppose it is. They do finally get to rest. But it's not happy in the sense that, like, everything's resolved. Well, yeah. Like, the high priests of Karnak or Arkin or whatever are still probably going to try to get it back. Yeah, as long as they're not in Egypt, like, unless all the high priests are dead, you know, and there's no one left to, like, continue on this line, they're just going to keep coming. That was the implication. Yes. There was an implication in this movie that these are the last ones. Which, hey, what if this movie hadn't? bombed. What were you going to do for a story then? Uh, a flood comes into the museum and Karis is rehydrated. I just imagine, like, do they think that it's kind of like when you dehydrate food, mm-hmm. when you go hiking and then you rehydrate yeah. it to yeah. eat it? Like, Of course. <laughs> yeah, so this wasn't terrible, but I am glad that this series is done. Yes. So where would you like to rank this? So I've got a pretty wide range for this. I really didn't know what to do with this movie. Okay, interesting. Um, I looked around to find the top movie for the Mummy series that we have, which is The Mummy's Tomb. Because I did enjoy this, and I was like, well, you know, how does this measure up? And I looked around where The Mummy's Tomb is on the list and what movies were around it, and they were things like The Devil's Hand and The Soul of a Monster. And I was like, okay, wait, no, this, this doesn't go that high. Okay, let's move down. And I hit Ghost of Frankenstein at 59. <laughs> which is also like a kind of going through the motions, bland ass movie. Uh, you know, I couldn't figure out like, is this better or worse than that? Like, so, you know, both of them are kind of at times doing new things with their respective series and at times not. So I made that my ceiling. I thought, let's leave room for this to go above Ghost of Frankenstein, maybe at 59. Cause I couldn't decide. I started making my way down. Like, okay, what's a movie this is definitely better than, right? I kept going down and down and down and down and down until I found The Mummy's Ghost at 91. Uh, and above that is Jungle Woman, which is by the same writer. And I thought, this is definitely better than The Mummy's Ghost. So I ended up with this swath from 59 to 91 that I don't wow. know what to do with. Well, I think I can help you out here. Okay. When I first started looking, I was like, okay, what was the last Mummy movie? The Mummy's Ghost. The Mummy's Curse is better than The Mummy's Ghost, so mm-hmm. um, 91 is my floor. Right. Um, so we're agreed on that. Yeah, and then right above Jungle Woman is The Invisible Ray at 89. And that was kind of interesting in the way that it has like an early slasher feel of someone hunting people down for revenge. You had a death ray in it too, which you can't complain too much about. <laughs> Now, that's something that we really liked about The Mummy's Tomb. The Mummy's Curse had similar elements with the, like, relentless monster coming after the running girl in a white dress, mm-hmm. you know? So I was like, okay, well, this could go above because Invisible Ray is not very good. <laughs> and just kind of looking up the list, I kind of stopped around The Devil Bat mm. at 87. Which is not a very good horror movie, but I would definitely want to watch The Devil Bat over The Mummy's Curse again. So my range is 87 to 91. I think a question we have to figure out is, like, is this better or worse than Jungle Woman? Which also has, like, a confused amnesiac woman at, like, the heart of its story, and also has, like, a lot of stock footage from previous entries, and also has kind of, like, a story that doesn't go really anywhere. Yeah, they both overly rely on... I would say that Jungle Woman relies on it more. Yes. Because it has that framing narrative of the trial or inquiry or whatever. Whereas this just uses it to kind of be like, hey guys, it's been like five years. Let's just quickly recap how we got here. So I think the question is what we can judge them by is like, both of these movies have scenes where this like unstoppable villain is like stalking people through like, the swamps or whatever, right? Sure. Which is better? Who do we like better as a monster, right? Karis or Paula Dupree? <laughs> um, so I think 
Jungle Woman fails at that because, as we discussed in that episode, they didn't want to make the pretty girl not pretty. Right. You know, they didn't want to do any makeup or anything. They didn't even do a transformation scene. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in The Mummy's Curse, Cheney's in full makeup. And even Ananka gets to be like a weird fucking corpse thing until she goes and has a bath. Yeah. Yeah. Until she rehydrates. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I'm thinking then that we put this below the Invisible Ray, above Jungle Woman. How does that sound to you? That sounds great. All right, so entering the list at the new number 90, The Mummy's Curse, from 1944, directed by Leslie Goodwins. Well, if it wasn't for Jungle Woman, we would have three movies in a row. (laughs) That's okay, though. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the other Mummy movies that we've mentioned today, as well as an appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, um, you can drop us a line through our Ask Box on Tumblr. You can reach out through email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com, or talk to us over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can leave us a rating or a review on the service that you listen to us on, and that would give us... A good warm feeling inside. We love to hear feedback, and algorithms love to get input from humans. <laughs> you can use a different app, an app of your choosing, if you subscribe through our RSS feed. You can also help the show out by telling a friend about us. Uh, Word of mouth is the best way for a podcast to get spread around. Exactly. You can also help out the show by going to patreon.com slash podcast and becoming a patron of the night. You can join up for as little as a dollar a month and help support the show, uh, help us pay our hosting fees, help us uh, invest in better recording equipment and in the time and effort it takes to produce these episodes. Uh, And at higher levels, you'll get uh, little rewards like bonus audio, uh, written pieces. Uh, October's coming up. And so we're planning a few special things uh, for the month of October to be dropping throughout that month for patrons, similar to what we did last year. So that's patreon.com slash podcast. And if you do want to hear something unique, uh, if you have an idea for something for us to do throughout October, do just drop us a line on Twitter. I'd love to hear it. I have a pretty solid plan, but might just... Uh... Stop what I'm doing and take your idea. Yeah, I mean, as a patron of the show, we appreciate your patronage. And while I'm not exactly going to start, like, changing the format of the show to the demands of patrons, I will certainly change up what we do on Patreon to the demands of our patrons. Yeah. (laughs) So, what are we watching next week, Ben? Next week, Sarah, we're watching a movie I don't really know a bunch about. Uh, It's from Paramount Pictures. And it's about a man who tries to, like, live forever. And the movie's called The Man in Half Moon Street. Huh, okay. Yep. They saw Columbia's success with The Man Who Blah Blah Blah. Apparently, it's kind of a picture of Dorian Gray ripoff. Ooh, interesting, because isn't the adaptation of Picture of Dorian Gray coming up? Yeah, it'll be the next one after that. This was like a we tried to beat the real thing to theaters by a couple weeks type ripoff. Transmorphers. Yeah. Okay, well we will see you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.